Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. It's Brian and Dan. We don't have an agenda. We're just going to go. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? You're back doing home. Great. I, I just got back from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. It was a lovely three days on the island of Martha's Vineyard with my dog, who loves the beach, and I, who love the beach, and doing nothing except for beating my brother in Scrabble and losing to him in FIFA, oh, and watching man, the Super Bowl. Did you watch the Super Bowl? It was like on in the background while I was doing things. Okay. It was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's what people say. People say it's pretty good until it was really stupid. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's the opposite of a lot of fondly remembered Super Bowls that were actually terrible right until the end and nobody mm-hmm. remembers those parts. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being in the Commonwealth amongst so when every day, whenever I drive up, my brother who just moved back there has the same sort of reaction. I was driving up and I was probably nearing Providence. And I saw a billboard for Miller Light, and it was a Celtics billboard. I'm like, oh my God, Boston fans. I was like, oh, because I'm in New England now. It's like <laughs> everyone, everyone's the same fan as I am here. So yeah, that that's true. That used to happen to me when I when I returned home. You would all you would have like a sensory overload of like socks hats for for like a few days. Why well, a sensory overload of nice people? People are much nicer. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's strictly in the Cape and Islands. I was gonna say, yeah, here. people who live on an island, an island paradise, are nicer. I don't think. I don't think people that live in Massachusetts in general are nicer. I think that. What did like? Did somebody su- like donate their blood to you? Like what? Uh... Well, look. So I drove <laughs> Sunday morning, and I had to take a shuttle bus to the ferry from a parking lot and I got on with my dog who's very cute. She's a puppy. She's afraid of everything. The shuttle bus only leaves once. So we had to idle for like 15 minutes and everyone on the bus was talking to me, asking me about the dog, asking me why I was going to the vineyard, talk to them back and forth. And no, that doesn't happen here. People, you know, that's actually true that when I, when I moved back to Boston after like, 15 years in exile. Um, I did find, and of course, and so this, this meant moving back like as an adult after, you know, when I left as a teenager, I did find that people, strangers are chatty here in a way that, that we don't, you know, we don't have that reputation of being chatty. We have the opposite, but people are chatty here. And you know what, Brian, I don't really care for it. (laughs) I don't really care for it. I don't want to talk to somebody in line at the grocery store. I don't want to, you know, I got even some of my neighbors. Um, I moved in. I, I recently moved into a new house. Not recently. It was like a year ago at this point. But uh, when I when I had recently moved into it, um, I, the, the, the old owners had put in a, a sprinkler system, which I never had before. <laughs> so I was testing it out and I was running it. And and one of my old one of my new neighbors walked by and I, I had I had briefly met her um, and I, I'm totally projecting things onto her. But I, I got the impression that she was kind of like the neighborhood busybody. And she just walked by and she was just like, you know, she saw me with playing with the sprinklers and she says, ah, the 
old people, you know, whoever, Jake and Lisa or whoever house they moved into had those on a timer. They used to go off every morning. And I'm just, and I know she's just trying to make conversation, but what the hell am I supposed to do with that? What am I going to say to that? <laughs> it bothers me. It bothers me when people just make stupid conversation with me. And, and I understand that that is, this is, this says a lot of things about me and, and how I do or do not fit into polite society. But I, I just, I can't help it. It bothers me when people make stupid conversation. You really nailed it when you said polite society, because that's literally <laughs> what you're describing. I, I would say that, I mean, I don't think I'm projecting too much here that if you are a little bit of a hater, Boston is, you know, that's the place for you. Yeah. Uh, How was the ferry but, boat ride the rest of the, the rest of the. Well, the on trip? the way, on the way there, my dog who is very, very afraid of everything took a massive shit on the outer deck of oh, the nice. boat. Yeah, yeah, but, but you know, it's a boat, whatever. It, the waves it was will cold crash enough, over there it. There and... a ton of people. It, it's not the waves are not going to crash over the boat, Dan. It's not that low to the ground. <laughs> well, yeah, it's going to rain. You've the never rain seen it in a storm. That. I've been on it in a storm. I've been on it when they said everybody has to move their their cars underneath, but then there are. are booths that are on the windows of the boat and then there's little aisles and then there's booths that are more inner yeah and they said everybody has to move the inner stuff because they didn't want mm, there to be a chance so there were too many people on the outer side so that it would tip which has never happened as far as i know yeah well it's not not in the cape but i mean other fair i'm actually i really i really love a ferry boat in general i think um my my off the grid life plan in the event that I write something that gets me canceled and I have to just completely leave my family and my life as I know it and disappear. My off the grid life plan is that there is a, there's a ferry boat that runs, I think every other day in between Barcelona and Tangier. And I would be the bartender on that ferry boat. It's like it's it's like a twenty six hour trip. That's my that's my off the grid life plan if it ever comes to it. That's pretty great. It'd be better than doing the forty five minute back and forth vineyard trip. Yeah, just woods hole the vineyard. Yeah, that would get boring. No, I want a, a twenty a twenty six hour trip with all sorts of like backpackers and and probably criminals trying to escape justice and uh, you know things like that. That's that's the life for me. Jason Bourne, maybe. Mm. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. No, we would pick him up. I would be the one well, that would see Jason Bourne floating in the Mediterranean. You know what would get you canceled? Writing about the Red Sox needing new uniforms. <laughs> this, <laughs> this article. So, yeah. So for those of you uh, who haven't been on the site in the past two days now. So Brian is afraid. Jake Wallinger wrote uh, an article on, on overthemonster.com today. The Red Sox need new uniforms. It's like a 500-word blog post. It's easily going to be our most read article of 2023. <laughs> Already, I'm predicting it. Um, for uh, the record, for the record, we clickbaited it a little bit. <laughs> he does not argue that the home and away uniforms should be changed in any way, shape, or form. He just wants new alternates. What do you? What are your thoughts there? I don't agree with his first paragraph. 
which I will read presently. Okay, let's get this out of the way. The standard home and away jerseys are iconic and perfect. Nothing needs to be done there. Got it? Great. Let's move on. Disagree. Mm, mm, okay. You know, I slightly disagree too, but you go first. The alternates are just gray. I mean, sorry, the away team, the away jerseys are just gray. Right. It, they're as, very as is boring. baseball tradition for the last 150 years. Exactly. Wait, you want to spice things up? I want to spice things up. So I don't have a problem. I, I no, I, I actually I would have a problem with your scenario. I don't think the Red Sox should move away from gray as a road uniform. Um, I think if you're if you're a pre World War II team, um, you should embrace that aspect of your identity as much as you can. And and wearing gray on the road would be one of them. I don't care for the current gray roadies though. I really don't. I think. Um, I think there's something uh, just a little awkward about the red and gray interaction. I, I really did like when they briefly switched from like, I think it was 2009 to 2014 or something like that. When they switched to gray uniforms, but with the blue Boston as opposed to the red Boston. I really liked that. I liked the idea of like, we're a blue team on the road and we're a red team at home. Um, and I wish they would go back to that. My understanding was that a lot of people complained that just if you were glancing at the TV quickly, they looked like the Yankees because they were all blue in there. Um, but fuck it. We're, we're older than the Yankees. Um, we should like we shouldn't let the Yankees dictate how we look. We were here first. I don't think. I mean, I agree with you. I liked the blue on the gray. But. I just, I mean, most teams have gray away uniforms. I just, gray is boring. That's it. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. What they are your, me. I mean, th this, this is extremely stale at this point. Um, but what are your city connect? What's your city connect take? Oh, they're fucking great. They're I amazing. Love the city connect. Thank you. I love yes. the city connect. Yes. Oh my God. I love it so They've much. They've worn them, to... them such a small number of times. Too, I know. I want to see, th I want them to wear it like every Friday night at home. I think it, every Friday night at home should be city connect night. I think that it is should perfect. become. Yeah. And or Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Either one. Like, no, I like, I one. like it at night. I like it at night because it's like, it's, the, it, the yellow it's bright it's vibey like it should be a night game jersey first of all it like really just pops under the lights really well but also just like it's it's an energetic youthful jersey i like the idea of it coming out on friday nights when fenway's a little more youthful and, and energetic itself as opposed to sunday i do agree with jake that the 1975 jersey and the 90s batting practice style jerseys, which are not buttoned down. They're just the pullover. Yeah. If that, if, if we're going to stick with the gray, something in that style, I think would be perfect. But I don't like the players might not like actually wearing those. Uh, I <clears> do don't think that they much. don't like pullovers. I don't know about that. I have no idea. Who wouldn't prefer like comfort wise? I mean, I said this, I said this in, in the office slack. I've, I've long had a theory about soccer jerseys 
that a, a huge part of the reason why you see so many soccer jerseys is not simply because it's by far the most popular sport in the world, but just that because they're so much easier to wear than any other sports jersey. Like if you if you ever threw on a basketball jersey and went to a coffee shop, you would spend the entire time sitting there feeling like a fucking idiot. And a, and a baseball jersey is only only makes you feel slightly less stupid because it's still too big to wear, and it's got the buttons and it's just and it sticks out and it's loud. You can throw on a soccer jersey and go anywhere because it just looks like a shirt. And I think if baseball jerseys switched to pullover style. Like you would have the same effect. Like, am I wearing a jersey? Yes, but it's really just a shirt. I can wear this anywhere. I love that. And that would help split the difference between the jersey and the jersey. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause, you know, for whatever reason, I've never really cared for a jersey. It's, it's, it lies. It's, it lies. It's a piece of clothing that lies to you. I think that one thing that could help everything in the, uh, away jersey is if you designed it as such that you wore the red hats with the blue bills because i because those hats are gorgeous yeah it is surprising that they haven't brought those hats back but jake is wrong about the saint patrick's day jerseys i don't i don't care for those and the 1908 jersey is just ridiculous so i'm giving jake a 60 on this test yeah, so yeah, no, I agree. The, the 1908 jersey, the, the sock the sock on a jersey just looks really dumb to me. <laughs> it looks really, really dumb. And it also, it reminds me of the reason why the Red Sox are called the Red Sox, and I don't care for the history of it. I, I don't know, I don't know how, how much you know about the history of, of this. They, they were not named the Red Sox simply because they wore Red Sox. It wasn't, it wasn't like an organic thing that popped up, which is what most people assume. Most people assume that with a team with this name, with, with it being that old, they were like, well, they must have just, you know, I, I, most people know that they initially didn't have nicknames. They were just the Boston American League Baseball Club. So I think most people assume that like, oh, well, they must have worn Red Sox back in the day. And so people called them the Red Sox. That's not true. They didn't have a name. But the Crosstown pre-Boston Braves... <laughs> did wear Red Sox and were called the Red Sox for that reason, colloquially. And then one year, I think must I think it must have been 1908, the Braves changed their uniforms, stopped wearing Red Sox. And Harry Frizee said, I like that name, and just adopted it. Start Not only started wearing Red Sox, but then like drew a goddamn sock on the jersey, which is a weird, it's weird to draw a sock on a shirt. For one thing, that's just weird in general. And I hate the way that they they were just like the Braves stopped wearing Red Sox and they were just like, no, this is us now. It's it's I don't know. It's it's a it was it's it's a bad origin story for the name of the Boston Red Sox. Well, it's like the Democratic Party. They saw the Republicans and they're like, we're Democratic Republicans. (laughs) Republicans are like, oh, Jesus Christ, it's the same name. The one thing I'll give uh, I have against the name Red Sox. The Democratic Republicans you... came first, FYI. Though I do want. To oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. If we so, want to talk about that. But, but the one thing that bothers me as a writer is that, as you know, you really have to write around like adding possessives to Red Sox players. Yeah, yeah. A player on the Red Sox. It, it's we solved this. We solved this a month ago. They are they're townies. 
Remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're townies. I like the Red that. Sox and are the old town team. Boston is the old town. And a player who plays for the Red Sox is not a Soxer. It's a, he's a townie. Well, but here's the thing. They can still be named the Red Sox. They'll be like the Canadians where you can call them the Habs. Where the Habs, you know, yes. So they're just it'll yeah. be interchangeable even if they don't mean anything the same. And that and that would be an organic name. That's that's what I like about it, just as the Habs is, which where did that come from? That came from just because like they were all like hometown. I believe it's les, right? Or yeah, like les habitants. Yeah. Les habitants. Yeah, I think they they were all like from Mont at one point the team was like mostly made up of, of kids like from Montreal. I think that's where it came from. Which well, is guess, a great that's a wonderful origin story for a nickname. Yeah, but fuck the Canadians. Yeah, fair enough. I don't really follow great sweaters, players. great sweaters though. But I mean fat when, what you hit on with soccer is that in a way that is not true of American sports, soccer is sort of about fashion, which is weird because they have all the ads on the jerseys. But yeah, another part well, of they, it is that yeah. soccer players are typically like the size and build roughly of like normal people. Mm-hmm. Not, not the build part. Not. But yeah. Well, not yeah. the, well, not, the, not the, not, I mean, not, yes. not underneath the Jersey. Right. Exactly. Like <laughs> the core yeah. is probably a little bit stronger on the players, but yeah. they're made to fit people of average size. Yes. Yes. That and is to true. look good on them. Yeah. Which should work for baseball too. I mean, they're you know, baseball is a little unique in that there is no prototypical body type. You know, for baseball, you can be you can be just as effective looking like Mookie Betts as you can looking like David Ortiz. Um, so, in that sense, like baseball should have a competitive advantage in the apparel world because theoretically, you should be able to wear a baseball jersey no matter how you look. Because players look vastly different from each other. And See, that, I find that I find that football has the advantage because uh, beyond all of them, it's the sport where it's like, yeah, it's not supposed to fit. It's supposed to be big and just go over your body. Big and okay. stupid, yeah. But it also, also, but again, that's that's what makes it look big and stupid. And if you're yes. going to Buffalo Wild Wings on Sunday, sure, you can put on a jersey. You can't wear a football jersey in any other context but at you, Buffalo Wild Wings. You can, but here's here's my specifications for when it's okay to how it's okay to wear a jersey. It has to be a stupid jersey of like a long retired player who played one season on the more obscure the better. Like I don't want to mm-hmm. see people walking around with Tom Brady jerseys. We get it. Yeah. But you're walking around with the maybe like a Kevin Falk jersey. Give it to me, baby. Then I know you're interesting. You got some stuff going. Like in New York, get people with like a Jason Seahorn jersey that's like 25 years old. I'm like, all right, I respect it. That's ridiculous. I don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe this should maybe this should have been what we did this episode. We should have drafted uh, what are the best Red Sox jerseys to wear from the 2023 team. Nah, let's leave it to the pot no. on Lansdowne, guys. Yeah, that is more than I actually, and, and I have to admit too, I only own one single Red Sox jersey and I rarely wear it. I only own an Ortiz jersey. Um, and I almost never wear it. And I and I do think so I I, th- I think this stems from my upbringing. 
I don't know if you had this experience too, um, but in the 90s, almost nobody wore jerseys at all. And there's there are definitely certain segments, and I'll use my dad as an example of this. My dad is is a huge Red Sox fan, goes to games whenever he can, but like would not be caught dead wearing Red Sox apparel to a Red Sox game. And and a few times in my life when when I was younger and I would go and I would throw a jersey on, he would kind of like roll his eyes at me because he thought to him, and I think and I think a lot of people from his generation felt this way, like wearing a jersey to a game was kind of like in like an embarrassing level of homerism almost. Weird. Um, I don't know if I don't know if you've ever experienced that with some old old New Englanders, but um so that, no, that's I felt it my I felt it myself. I wouldn't have said weird homerism. I would have felt that he thought it was like bringing your glove to the game. Oh uh, yeah, a little bit of that. Oh, for an adult for sure too. Yes. And I and I do kind of feel that way too a little bit. Um I guess it, yeah, it's like a combination of it's a combination of you're an adult, don't wear a jersey of someone who's 25 years old. And then also, I think, like, his idea of being a Red Sox fan is being someone who's, like, smart about the team and clear-eyed about the team and cynical when he needs to be cynical and happy when he needs to be happy. And so, like, the idea of just sort of, you know, wearing your fandom literally on your sleeve like that always seemed kind of weird to him. That's fair. I mean, I was actually thinking of, <clears throat> writing a, a piece for the website were you yeah great but it's along this i was gonna say i'm gonna like i'm going to buy my last jersey i'm going to buy oh. the jersey that's gonna oh, take oh i like through. this i, I like I this one still but i i never wear it yeah um it would and it would just be Almost certainly would be like the '90s batting practice jersey for Pedro Martinez. I mean, that, that, be yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's a hell of a way to go out. Shirt. Right. So just be like, that's it. I'm not buying. I'm not buying jerseys anymore because it's ridiculous. The players move all the time, and mm. I'm, as you said, 20 years older than most of these guys. Yeah, seems a little silly. So I've thought about it, but I don't have any money right now. So that's why I'm not. Doing <laughs> yeah. Those are probably hard to come by too. Although or maybe they're not. Maybe they're No, just you go on like Mitchell and Ness. It's, it's all. Uh, and then the Cooperstown collection the for 47 brand. It's all mm-hmm. made for people our age to yeah. spend the money yeah. on the shit they couldn't buy before or updated versions now i will say i have a great patriots fake retro like 40s jersey or like it's not a jersey it's like a it's awesome it's it Mm -hmm. it doesn't look like it looks like a very cool sweatshirt and that's the sort of area i'm in right now but now is it like cut off at the stomach because that's the other that's the weird thing about old football jerseys the ones and speak and my dad did have to bring my dad back into the pod um he did have when i was a kid it it wasn't like a patriots jersey it was just 
it was just like generic football jersey that you that you could buy at TJ Maxx or, or TJ Maxx or something like that. Um, and he would just like wear it, uh, you know, on Saturday cutting the grass or something. But it was that old style football jersey the way they used to be. And I would love an explanation as to why this was ever anyone's idea of what a football jersey should look like. But it was that kind that like cut off at the belly button. What the fuck I was mean, that? Even as recently as like five years ago, Ezekiel Elliott, the Cowboys running back, was doing that. Was he? And that it's not the style anymore. He was clearly yeah. doing it as sort of like a retroactive style. He Chris, uh, he, he, took, it, he took some scissors to it, Chris Sale style, and just did it on his oh own. Oh my god, that was a, speaking of TJ Maxx. My son is just starting to read, and he likes to read the signs of the stores between his school and his sister's school, and. I finally got him. He was reading them, and then he kept going. Tj Max, and I Tj, <laughs> and then the next day Tj Max, Tj, and he finally is like, "Oh, Tj Max." He gets it now, folks. Go. We yeah. got him. We got yeah. him. <laughs> Nailed him. He's a Maxinista already. Yeah. Um, so what's so going I'm on? We're, <laughs> yeah, we're twenty. We're twenty-five minutes into this pod right now. We haven't talked uh, really anything having to do with Red Sox news, but that's kind of appropriate. Even though spring training started this week, um, and yet as I was preparing for this pod, I'm looking for things to talk about, and there's nothing to talk about right now at all. Um, and in fact, no, they play Northeastern look- a week from the day people will be listening to this. Do they? The the next Friday is their their Northeastern game. All right. So we'll have a, we'll, 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 we'll give people the full scouting report of your Huskies. um, Run things down. Hold on. You live in Boston, right? I do. I live a couple of miles from Northeastern's home field. I'm familiar with the bean pot. I know very well what it is. And Mm -hmm. it's this year it's Harvard versus one of the bees. It's not. So first of all, it's already happened. Harvard versus (laughs) Northeastern. It was Harvard. It was Harvard versus Northeastern. And that's it was the, the first, first time, time ever. How ever. is that, that possible? Insane? There are yeah. four teams. I know that that does seem truly, truly insane. Um, I guess it just goes to show you how much better BU and BC have been throughout their history. Um, Still, I know it's 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 absolutely mind boggling that that could have been the first time that happened. I hope uh, it I, has I'm, to be the last pairing that hasn't been made. I mean, it has to be. Oh, oh, definitely, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's there. There, there are only what I guess three possible pairings: the UBC. No, I guess more than that. What's do some math for me? Six? Is it six? I BUBC, six. BU Harvard, BU Northeastern. It's one of those groups. Yeah, three I think it's six, and then BC Harvard, BC Northeastern. Five. I guess it's five. Okay. All right. So that's how it works. Yes, it seems it seems mathematically impossible that that could have been the case. Northeastern won. Uh, it Good. was this past Monday. Northeastern won. Harvard um, knows what it al- did. Yes. Although apparently Harvard, Harvard's like a top 10 team this year. Um, although, so I, I I do not know much about Harvard, college hockey. You tell Harvard they're top 10 anything, they, you know, that's yeah. not their that's not their game. No, it's not. Um and I do wonder if, like, any fans, any like, do Harvard students go to the Bean Pot? I bet they 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 surely don't, right? <laughs> There's no way they do. I um, would guess. I would. I I would guess they do. Some of them, like a couple of dozen. We could have found this seem, out by. We could have found this out by watching the game on Monday, I suppose. 
Yeah, no, that, that, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I was we on should the beach, have... Dan. I was on the beach. Yeah, I know. Um, Jake, Jake Wallinger, uh, who we've already discussed <laughs> once on this pod, one of our pod on Lansdowne guys, um, he is a big hockey fan. And I, I don't know if he went to BU as an undergrad, uh, but I know he went to BU for grad school. So I assume he's a BU hockey fan. Um, but I like college hockey is weird. Growing up, um, I didn't know a ton about it, but I would watch the bean pot every year, just about, or I would at least be cognizant of the bean pot. And it was my, I, I was always kind of proud of the fact that, like, it was my understanding that, you know, BU and BC were two titans of the game and that the hockey East was like the hockey equivalent of what the ACC is for basketball. And I suppose that's technically true, except that I've since learned that there, there are actually, there are only six conferences total in college hockey. And so it's not, so, so the hockey East being um, one of the better ones actually isn't that impressive. There are only six conferences total. There's, yeah, there's my like, understanding. It's, it's the Northeast and the Midwest. And those are the, like the big ones. Yeah, that's like it. Yeah, and Minnesota, and, and, Michigan, right. And and my my childhood understanding that BU was like the hockey program is actually like not the case. If you look at national championships like Minnesota and even places like University of Minnesota, Duluth, and Denver, they all they all have had considerably more success than BU. It turns out BU's up there. BU and BC are up there for sure. Um, but it's college hockey world is a lot smaller than I thought when I was a, a wee lad. If I, if I'm inspired tonight, I'm going to splice Joe Biden going Minnesota in right there. <laughs> you save that for the frozen four. Oh, so Dan, speaking of Joe Biden, you've talked about all these trips you took. Uh, we're staying at coffees with shitty hotel. Was that in your capacity as an Obama uh, aide? <laughs> uh it it was indeed yes well actually yeah at the time i was this staying at shitty hotels was when i worked on the campaign when we won we started staying at really nice hotels um still i still drank coffee at the nice hotels but gotta save that per diem money i gotta say one of my one of my most prescient moments was i worked at a i was a newspaper reporter but I'd gone to the University of Chicago where Obama taught, and I actually interviewed Michelle in college because she was the head of the hospitals. Um, oh. And before his convention speech in 2004, the night, the day before, or the mm-hmm. day of, I told everyone I worked with, I'm like, there's this guy speaking. His name is Barack Obama. It's going to be awesome. I'm just telling you. And they're like, great, dude. I don't care. The next day, they're like, Barack Obama, who knew? I'm like, I told you <laughs> yesterday. I demand yeah. my credit. I demand it. I, um, I, yeah, I have a similar story. So I was actually, I was in the building um, when he delivered that speech. It was in Boston. I, I was volunteering at the convention. I was still in college at the time. Um, my sister lived in Chicago. And so she was, uh, you know, was, was tuned into the Senate race. And she knew all about him. And she told me um, to make sure that I didn't miss that speech. And so I, I did make sure that I, I went into, into the arena for his speech. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I probably, I wasn't, I wasn't the only, I, I likely wasn't the only person who had this reaction, but I think I did, I guess I didn't text her cause it was 2004, but maybe I went home and, and AIM her or something. And I said, well, he's, he's going to be president of the United States one day. Um, and uh, yeah, four years later, four years later, I was there. 
Yeah, that's the equivalent of being at like the uh, snow game for the Patriots, which I was. Um, oh, were just, you? Yeah, I got these. Uh, my brother, the same one I just saw, and I, he was in high school uh, and I was just out of college. And I got these four, I got these two obstructed view seats. I think I told this story where we got there. How we wait, were there, there were obstructed view seats in Foxborough? The, this was the last game at the old stadium. Yeah, no, I know, but there, but there was oh, only, yeah. but it was a single tiered stadium. How? I mean, I, was, I don't remember. Really score, scoreboard stanchions. Oh, and so we were right behind it. Zone. And when they said obstructed view, what they meant was you cannot see between the hash marks at all. So we go there, <laughs> we sit bad. down, and we're like, "Fuck!" The two guys next to us, because it had been snowing for like eight hours at that point, got in, and they were older, and they just turned. And they go, it's too cold. And they left. So we just slid into their seats and watched the game. Oh, nice. You wow, can see it's guys... fine from just two seats over. <laughs> yeah. Those guys missed out. That's yeah. like to be a to be a fan of the Pats in 2000, in fall of 2002, or I guess it was 2001, mm. um, with season ticket holders to that shithole of a stadium and for them not to stay for a playoff game like that. In that's their defense. Weird. I mean, in their defense, it was really fucking cold, partially yeah. because the snow was – there's a lot of snow games, but it's not often snow is accumulating during the game. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely accumulating, so your feet were freezing. Oh, yeah. Because you're sitting – you have your feet in the snow. Like, I had three pairs of socks on or something, and um, I intentionally had drank whiskey – in the last, like, because we got there at noon for the eight o'clock game. And yeah, at like four up. o'clock, I'm like, I'm just drinking whiskey, but also I don't want to have to pee during the game. Like, I don't want to be on the beer runs and just like, oh God, I got to busy. No, I'm not moving. It's not happening. So, yeah, I would say that's the equivalent of the Obama speech. And so, yeah, we, same thing. So, we did same that. Thing. I wasn't drinking as much whiskey, but um, I did during subsequent speeches, but yeah, we'll leave it here there now. Do you have a favorite Obama <laughs> speech besides Do that one? A, um, to be perfectly honest, I didn't listen to most of them when I was on the job. Um, because the way it worked, like basically how it worked is once once he got on the stage, that meant that every my job was over at that point. Everything that I'd been working for was done. Um, so I would usually... And you were a speechwriter? No, 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 no. I was not a speechwriter. Um, I did, I did what's called political advance, um, which meant that basically uh, I was on the team. I mean, there was we were a massive team, uh, and there were many, many, many of us, of us, and we were all over the place. Um, but we would get sent to wherever during the campaign. We would get sent to wherever he was going to go, like five or six days before, um, and so they would just fly us out to Columbus, Ohio, and they would say, okay, we want to do a rally. The rally is going to be Friday, somewhere between 4 and 8 p.m., and we want to shoot for 15,000 people. Or, you know, somewhere else they'd be like, okay, this we want to do a town hall with 3,000 people. Um, or, you know, it would be just like purely a media hit or something like that. And so our job would be to just for the next five or six days – plan absolutely everything that needed to be done in order to make that 16,000 person rally happen. Um, And then I had the same job in the administration effectively, except instead of 
instead of going to Sandusky, Ohio, now I was like going to Beijing and Istanbul and London to do it. And instead of staying in the Hampton Inn, I was staying in like the Conrad building and stuff like that. So did you do um, any advance work on his vacations? I never, I never got the vacations because there's, and I'll tell you why, because uh, there's a colleague of mine, Mike Brush, uh, who's also a, a New Englander and a native Red Sox fan. Um, Mike Brush was a really, really, really good golfer. And I cannot golf for shit. <laughs> so it was Mike who got to do all of the vineyard getaways because he wanted to have people there that he could golf with. Oh, good story. Um, there's a fair every year on Martha's Vineyard in the third week of August, and it's in my town. It was all, it's the greatest thing if you're a teenager, and obviously I was. And so there's like an agricultural part, which is much cooler when you're an adult than it is when you're a kid, where they have like animals, they have like a woodsman competition. It's now that I'm older, I'm like, that's the cool stuff. But there's yeah. also a traveling fair that's exactly you know what type of thing it is that comes from off island for this one thing so one day i was there uh this is i think this is after obama was president i think trump was president but maybe not um because obama has continued to go to the vineyard like since he's been president he's, yeah. oh yeah he owns a house there now he bought like an right. 18 million dollar mansion right like bill clinton never owned a house he came when he was president but he doesn't come mm -hmm. after that except for to ask for or his wife has for money but so the secret service guys at the fair are really i gotta say when a president says they're gonna vacation on the vineyard it looks like the secret service buys hundred pairs of khaki shorts, polo shirts, and the Red Sox hats, the cloth ones. Mm -hmm. So all those guys are, they have earpieces and it's like, you they're not yeah. inconspicuous. You can tell. And so one day I see them I'm like, Oh, somebody's here. Malia and Sasha are playing the dunk, the clown game. The clown has no idea who these people are. And what does the clown do as a carny? He just, fucking roasts who's ever throwing the ball uh -huh. and Malia is up there trying to dunk him and he is just ripping her a new one painfully oblivious to what he's doing I was like that dude this is the only context where that's gonna fly my man <laughs> they probably got a kick out of it though because I mean that's a tough life for a child. That uh, you know that that's that actually sounds like one brief moment where they were allowed to be normal. So exactly, they probably I mean, they probably appreciated that clown's attitude. And they were at the absolute perfect age to go to that fair. Um, yeah. So that's a good time. That was the Barack Obama segment. Barack Obama um, corner. Yeah. Barack Obama quarter. You want to do vibes or do you want to? I want to do one more thing. So like I was saying, so we're now we're now in minute 39 and we still haven't talked about the Red Sox. And it's weird to me we that we talked like, about Red Sox jerseys. We talked about jerseys. Yeah. Spring train spring training has started. Um, and yet there's no real news. And and so I was I was I was surfing the World Wide Web before this podcast to try and get prepared. And like, what are we gonna talk about? And it's funny to me. So I think I, I think I, I'm gonna that we're gonna debut a potential new segment here, um, a prototype of a segment. We need to work out the kinks. 
I think I want to read you a bunch of headlines and you tell me, is this something we should care about or are there just too many people writing about the Red Sox? <laughs> Uh, because it does kind of feel like we're in a weird spot where people are just desperate to find anything to say about this team right now. And, and in fact, uh, it end up saying the same thing over and over again. So first of all, I'm actually going to read you, um, let's see how many, one, two, three, four. All right. So I'm going to read you a a bunch of different headlines, but I'm going to start with five in a row, (laughs) five in a row. All of all of these are stories that have come from different outlets all in the past two days. Uh, Julian McWilliams in the Boston Globe. With recent exits, we're seeing a leadership shift with the Red Sox. Jen McCaffrey, The Athletic. Red Sox counting on veteran clubhouse additions to fill leadership void. Uh, Mass Live, Chris Cotillo. Red Sox shortstop fires back a reporter who asked if he has resume to be a leader. Boston Globe again, Pete Abraham, Raphael Devers has taken his place, including in the clubhouse as the face of the Red Sox. And then a few days before that, Alex Byer in the Globe, he's a recruiter, a utility player, and an anchor, how Kike Hernandez got in the middle of anything, everything for the Red Sox. Um, this seems to be the story of the first few days in spring training. Do the Red Sox have a leader? Um, Brian Joyner, is this something we should care about, or are there just too many people writing about the Red Sox? This dovetails really nicely with the Obama discussion because I have long thought, especially when there's a piece of breaking news and my feed is just 10 people, the exact same thing. Mm. There just needs to be a pool report. Yeah. There's going to be a Red Sox pool reporter. Team up. Now, this is not quite the same thing, but I'm talking for like transactions. Mm. Just have a pool reporter. You can link, you can have one account. Jen will do it one day. Chris will do it another day. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And then everyone else can. I mean, the thing about leadership is it's such an ephemeral quality that it's it makes it. You can't be wrong writing about it because it doesn't like it exists, but it also like you can't hold it. Nope. It's just no. Nope. It is you what you say it. it is. You can't measure it. We're never really going to know what happens in the clubhouse. None of us are, including the reporters. We're not really going to know who the leaders are. I mean, this, I got to say, this extends to us in some way where I was listening to Pod on Lansdowne yesterday and they were talking about how they viewed the season and how they were cautiously optimistic, but sort of excited, but not prepared to be super let down because next year is a real year. I'm like, that's all I ever say. It's not like they're copying me or I'm copying them. We're just, we've all come to the same conclusion and this is this is really scraping the bottom of the barrel time for uh for takes with yeah, in the really absence is. of in the absence of actual results and i think that what you're talking about now that spring training is is started like these people are together they're not producing any statistical content or uh media content for us to break down so right now, all we have is how do they relate to each other? So everybody mm-hmm. is writing the story. How do they relate to each other? Obviously, I think we know this from years of watching it. You can predict who might or might not be a leader, but you, the only way to sort of pin that down is just 
start playing and see what happens. Yeah, it's a completely useless story. Um, it doesn't, you know, and, and it's 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 one that, that's sort of just designed to get um, defensive quotes out of the players, I think, which which is what has happened, um, particularly from Kike Hernandez, who was asked a, a frankly ridiculous question by one of those people. Um, I do want to go on a brief internet rant before we get back to this, um, just based on what you were talking about, how you know, a, a transaction happens and then all of the beat reporters immediately tweet it out and, and, and also write like a completely useless 200 word post and put it up and just, yeah, the Red Sox have signed uh, Wyatt Mills relief pitcher from Kansas city Royals Mills last year appeared in 12 games with a 5.26 ERA or whatever. Um, so putting the, putting the actual beat writers aside, there's another species of Red Sox Twitter person that I, that really, really gets under my skin. And these are, these are the Red Sox Twitter persons who are not beat writers. Um, and they, and they probably don't really do any writing for any site. They may or may not have a podcast. Um, but they that hold sounds themselves... like me. In fairness, that sounds like me. <laughs> well, no, 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 no writing no, may or may not have a podcast. <laughs> That's true. Fair enough. Yeah, that, that part does sound like you. Um, but these people, like you don't, these, these people will hold themselves out on Twitter. They 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 cultivate their entire Twitter persona and profile as as like a Red Sox analyst in some sense, which you do not do on your Twitter profile. Um, so they hold themselves out as a Red Sox analyst. But A, there are two things about this that bother me. A, the only thing they do is tweet. Like I said, like they're not they're not writing anywhere. They maybe are on a podcast sometimes, but the only thing they do is tweet. And then they do a particular type of tweet that really bothers me, which is again, so like on the day that the Red Sox trade for Wyatt Mills, they'll beat the 10 beat reporters getting all their Wyatt Mills has been acquired by the Red Sox tweets out. And then this species of person will also come in. And say to their 12, 1300 followers, Red Sox have acquired Wyatt Mills from the Kansas City Royals. As if at that point anyone still needs that news, or as if there's any value in just saying those 10 words and putting that out into the world. I really I'm not gonna name names on here, but this is a this is a class of Red Sox Twitter personality that really bothers me. Nobody, nobody needs you to tell us that Wyatt Mills was just acquired by the Red Sox. Nobody needs that from you. You could just retweet it also. Like, is, yeah, I, I understand just the beats are doing their job. I, I get it. Yeah. You know, but there is a discussion going on amongst uh, people we've mentioned. I've mentioned in a story about there being such a saturation of Red Sox content that if you're doing it, I would say arguably like the people you're talking about are to, I want twitter follows for doing this mm -hmm. it's different or like i want to have a red sox podcast so i can get famous it's like no you kind of just you can do a red sox podcast like we like talking the pot on lando Lansdowne guys like talking jake likes keaton for some unknown reason <laughs> but your expectations have to be it kind of can't come with expectations but at least it's real work and i'm not just talking about us talking about anybody who does it you know right, right um there is a saturation and right now that saturation as you were talking about even among the beat writers is this is sort of like itself a pastime 
how are these guys going to get together? What's going to happen to the gang next season? You know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. So right, I would argue. You... Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go well, ahead. I was finish finish your thought. I, I was going to move on. Okay. Well, then I'm going to move on first. I'm moving on first. <laughs> All right. A couple more headlines for you. Tell me, tell me whether this is something we should care about. Um, here's two headlines that, that, that uh, fell in the same category. From Dan Shaughnessy. <laughs> I didn't read the article. We don't actually have to talk about what it says, but just the headline Chris Sale appears thinner than usual, but doesn't sound concerned about holding up. Um, and then Chris Cotilla at Mass Live Red Sox Chris Sale estimates he's 185 pounds, doesn't think frame made him prone to fractures. Okay, so first of all, does Chris Sale actually appear thinner, or have we just not seen Chris Sale in three years? That's my first question. I don't know how he could appear. It, how exactly? Yes. I don't Especially know. Especially when we were talking about the uniforms, they're not soccer uniforms where you can maybe no. tell easier. But I mean, maybe is Shaughnessy in Florida? I, I Does he probably looking at him. He's got to be in Florida. There's no way he doesn't have that in his contract that he gets to go down to Florida every single spring. Um, but yeah, this seems to be another thing that's picking up steam right now. Is Chris Sale thinner than before? <laughs> um, I like you said, I can't imagine how he possibly could be. Although I guess so. Like I said, this became a topic of discussion, and I, he did he did say yesterday that he he thinks he tends to put on weight as the season goes on. Which, if that's the case, that's kind of the exact opposite of what almost every other player says about the season. Um, that it wears them down and that they're smaller in September than they were in April. Um, but he says that he has three kids. So he uh, goes to bed early and wakes up early. And and then I think he says he eats a lot of things at 11 o'clock at night after games. So he, I guess, I guess, I guess what he was saying is during the off season, he goes to bed early during the season. He eats late at night. And that's why he puts on weight, I guess. So he takes care of himself in the offseason. <laughs> yes. And also, <laughs> also uh, his I don't think I got hurt because I'm too skinny shirt prompts a lot of questions <laughs> already answered by the shirt. Yeah. Well, in his defense, he was he was being flat out asked that question. I don't I don't think he came in and said, "Hey, everyone, I'm skinny, but I'm fine." I think they this is again again they're they're trying to find something to talk about, and we yes, have but to this talk one about. Has an, yeah, I mean, I can see him being defensive about it. It reminds yeah. me of this won't mean anything to you when the Patriots and Jets played this year, and the Jets scored three points. They went and asked the Jets quarterback, "Do you take any blame for the loss?" And he just deadpan is like, "No." <laughs> and that was a lot that was and he was benched right after that yeah. it's a different like scenario that. but it's like i'm asking the question i know the answer to and at least in that case he could have yeah. owned up to it yeah i mean Chris Sale's not going to be like i'm a beanpole yeah his whole thing could be like what the fuck do you want me to do about it this is just me yeah. yeah it is and he did he did specifically say about the bike accident he's like anybody he's like i hit the ground anybody would have broken a bone if they hit the ground um and I will say this. So I don't know exactly where the bike accident happened. I do remember when it happened. I, I listened to, to you and Keaton did a pod and you both said that neither one of you has ridden a bike in like decades. Um, I have now. So I have subsequently. You have. Okay, good. Because um, it's a great way to get around. 
I do bike semi-regularly. And not only that, but I actually now bike semi-regularly right past BC's campus. So I don't know what street he was on, um, but I have gone downhill on Beacon right past Alumni Field. Um, that street is not in good shape. And, and it is pretty steep. And there have been times where I've been like, I need to slow down here a little bit. Like I could hit a pothole and and go over the handlebars. Um, so just to, for, uh, you know, to, for me to get an extremely timely takeout here about, about Chris Sale's August bike injury and the brief online kerfuffle as to whether there was a conspiracy theory afoot and whether he actually got in a bike accident or got in a fight or something like that. I can vouch biking past Boston college is precarious. And I would break a bone too if I fell off my bike there. My dad was a big cyclist. Um, and like, I remember he lived in New Haven and one day many years ago, probably early nineties, he was his group of his little pack of spandex wearing losers sorry we're out biking and he saw who's this guy wearing a world champion jersey what a fronter it was lance armstrong just biking just biking with their group but you you know good at biking less good at being a dad yeah it's fine that's he's, for sure. he's not yeah. he's not gonna listen uh I actually anything else before we move on to vibes one more one more thing while we're on the media um and i'm gonna have you see if you can guess the outlet that this headline came from um, because it's kind of ridiculous. The headline is Justin Turner hopes to honor Jerry Remy with Red Sox number. The outlet. Think about, think about who would want to associate number two with Jerry Remy in this context, as opposed to Xander Bogarts. I am at a total loss. Total loss? Yeah. That headline came from the old Nesson.com. Uh. Um, this is, so this is, this is going to be the next at tomorrow morning. There are going to be a couple of stories about this. There's a, right now. There's only one. Um, uh, we, Cotillo, we I saw as we are doing this, Cotillo saying, "I despise writing about jersey numbers, <laughs> but you have to give the people what they want. So look out for my story." And I had no idea what it yeah. referred to, but now I do. It's coming. It's coming. Look, we we've discussed this before. I think it's weird as shit that he is wearing number two. Um, I don't, it does bother me. Look, I understand, like, I, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna flip out and go crazy about this, but it bothers me that they immediately gave number two to Justin Turner. Um, and so I guess he was asked about it and what is not mentioned. So there's a couple of things that aren't mentioned in the Nesson article about, um, uh, about, um, Justin Turner wearing number two. The, the primary thing that's not mentioned that has been mentioned on Twitter, and this is probably what Cotillo's article will be about, is that Turner has said that he didn't ask for it, that the Red Sox asked him if he wanted to wear it. 
That is not in the Nesson article, which states that he's wearing it as, as a tribute for Jerry Remy. Um, so again, I don't know. It's like the amount of times that the, this Red Sox front office and PR office just steps on a rake for fun. Just it's, it's just amazing. Like, why just are you guys doing this? Why are they doing this? So my brother is not, he likes the Red Sox, but he's not into it like we are. And I was very pleased to see that he had sort of the same general take that all of us do in our sort of um, combined take of like, why are you so fucking weird? Why? Just like, why? Like, what is with the weirdness? We get, like, he's like, I get it. It was a rebuild. You didn't want to say it was, but everything about it, just so weird. Though, I'm glad you mentioned that story because it it changed the vibe rankings a little bit. So, Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. All right. Let's we move will into get, the vibe rankings then. We will get to the vibe rankings after this. Oh, good idea. Let's take a break first. And we're back. It's time to get into the vibe rankings. Here's how it's going to go. Because Dan didn't do anything. I ranked players 10 best vibes, one worst vibes. I just listed 10 players. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say the name of the player. Dan is going to guess where I have them on the vibes ranking. All right. So when when we're talking about vibes, just so we're clear here, we're talking about how excited we as fans should be about their upcoming season, how excited they should be about the position they're in, a kind of combination of the two. Like, what are, what are you thinking about here? We're talking about vibes, man. We're talking about vibes, okay. We're talking about okay. vibes. I think it'll be Fair very enough. clear. You know when you see it. You know it. when you see it. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right, so let's start with one. Let's go with. Kike Hernandez. Let's start with Kike. All right. Kike Hernandez. Now remember, is... now I need you to remember. There are 10 players. So mm. there's uh there's some game theory going on here. Okay. All right. My initial thought is to is to give him like a nine or ten. Um, because as as we briefly discussed, he kind of has been the face of the Red Sox this offseason. He's been everywhere. He is moving. He's getting a chance to move back to shortstop, his favorite position, the position he came up uh, through the minors as. Um, but I will dial it back a little bit, and I'll and I'll peg him at a seven because he is also coming off a very disappointing year, um, and there's a good chance that he, he probably recognizes this. He's he's not going to get to play shortstop all year long, possibly. They've already come out and said that the plan is for Trevor Story to take over shortstop when he's ready. Um, so I'll say he's feeling good. He's been vocal. He's playing the position he wants to play, but he's not going to be able to play there all year, and he's getting older, and he's coming off a bad year. So I'll give him a seven on the vibe scale. So – you middled it. I have him at an eight. Ah, okay. All right. Fair enough. We're close. Yeah. For the reasons you say uh, that, he, you know, he's basically won the off season, but at the same time, he's still, I mean, he's not strictly a utility player. He's better than that, but he's not a superstar or a star yeah. and the potential isn't there. Um, we actually, now that you mentioned that we, we, Red Sox Nation could inadvertently be setting him up to fail, kind of, because he is 
like a, a, a lot a lot of the more casual fans are probably starting to think of Kike Hernandez as a as a minor star. Um, and as outstanding as he was in 2021, he's never been that and likely isn't going to be that going forward. Except for in the offseason where he's like that on social media. And it's yeah. easy now to conflate the two things. However, however, the vibes are always good around him. Mm-hmm. So Can't based on that. his pure positivity, I have him at eight. So I think okay, uh, so that eight, was good. Eight is off the board. Eight is off the board. All right. It's going to be sort of uh, obvious how we do that. Let's go Bobby Dahlbeck. <laughs> oh, poor, poor Bobby D. So you went one through 10 and not zero through 10, correct? There's no zero. Okay. So the question, so I obviously don't know who the other eight players you've picked are. So the question is, is it possible for anyone else in the Red Sox to come in to the season with worse vibes than Bobby Dahlbeck? Um, the only potential candidates would be Jaron Duran. Uh, I mean, Chris Sale's vibes aren't great, but at least he's on the field. So he's probably pretty pumped about that. I don't know if you went with Jaron Duran. Uh, all right, I'm, I'll I'll say I'll say one for for poor Bobby D. Other than Jaron Duran, I can't think of anyone else who'd be coming into the season with worse vibes than him. He had the worst year of his career. I mean, he's only been he's only had a two year career. He was at, he was one of the worst hitters in baseball last year, and now he comes into the this season looking like he's pr- he doesn't have a role on the team anymore. Although currently. Uh, well, as of this morning, he was still technically the backup middle infielder on the 26-man roster because the only middle infielders on the 26-man roster uh, who were healthy were Kike and Christian Arroyo. Um, but I don't know if you saw Yu Chang is back. They were they were they were officially Good. able to put put Trevor Story on the IL today. So Yu Chang is back. So now Bobby Dahlbeck has lost that position too. He's no longer the backup middle infielder. Um, so I'm going to give him a one. I gave him a two, and it will mm. become clear when you hear who number one is. But I agree with okay. you for every That's a tease. for all the reasons that you said. Uh, I I have him at two because there's not a lot to look forward to. So why don't, why don't you guess where Duran is? Is so it, is, if Duran is on your list, he's got to be. He is. One. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Okay. No. 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 He's uh, not number one. He's not number one. Oh. 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 Okay. He's number four. He's number four. Number Look, we've four. Talked, we've talked. You about are this, a Duran right? believer. I do know you're a Duran believer. We've also talked about that. There's a. I think there's a quantitative difference in the amount of talent that and staying power that Bobby Dahlbeck has with respect to a major league team, and what Jaron Duran has with respect to a major league team. I think Jaron Duran has the tools. They're in there. And I think that the vibes are not good, but he, unlike Bobby Dahlbeck, does have a route to playing time. And yeah. And I think that there's there's a dead cat bounce possibility here that I just don't see with Dahlbeck. I guess the counter argument to that would be that he, unlike Bobby Bobby Dahlbeck, has yet to taste any success as a major leaguer. Dahlbeck has, you know, Dahlbeck was outstanding in the second half of 2021. Um, you know, so he's 
I would say the vibes are worse for him because probably at the end of the 21 season, he, he thought he was on his way. He thought he'd figured he, he struggled mightily to start the season. They started platooning him aggressively, which helped. And he was outstanding in that August 2021. He had like eight home runs in a month or something like that. He was, he was hitting it for a high average, putting up good OBP numbers. It's safe to say that he felt really good coming into the season in 2022. And then for you to lose all that and for everything to collapse, for the floor to drop from underneath you, that's that feeling's got to suck. Whereas for Jaron I mean, Durant, Jaron Durant hasn't tasted that, even that yet. But the game... I mean, even in the very short period of time that these two guys have been relevant, the game has changed from a game that favors Bobby Dahlbeck's skill set to this year, one that very mm. clearly favors Jaron Duran's skill set. That so, is but true. The, as you're we right. got the pictures of the bases. The bases look goddamn ridiculous. They really do. As, 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 as you say, I am – it's not that I'm a believer, but I believe that there, there could be a player in there, and I believe that more than I believe that for someone like Dahlbeck. But yeah. I, if, if you reverse them, I would have no problem. I, I'm I'm fascinated to see who who gets the one and who gets the three on your list here. I really am. Um, all right, let's do another one. Let's do Verdugo. Okay, Alex Verdugo. Um, this is going to be another little mini story we see in the next two days. Uh, Alex Verdugo was called out by Alex Cora at the end of last uh, season. Alex Cora identified him as someone who he thinks can and needs to step up this year. Uh, and Verdugo came into camp and is reportedly best shape of his life. He's the first Red Sox player we've heard best shape of his life. Uh, people are saying he looks felt, which again, I mean, we see these guys in street clothes so rarely that who knows whether he actually does look felt or not. That was always David Ortiz going back to Jersey corner for a second here. David Ortiz always looked, you know, pretty hefty on the baseball field. But whenever you would see pictures of him just like at the club or something, he looked like a, like a brick house. You know, he didn't, you, you would never have described street clothes. David Ortiz is fat. You might have described baseball uniform. David Ortiz is fat. So Alex Verdugo walking into JetBlue Park yesterday in a T-shirt and people going, oh, he looks good. I'm not necessarily sold on that. Um, but anyway, he does seem to, um, you know, he said that Cora lit a little bit of a fire under him. He said he was injured last year with, with injuries that weren't really disclosed. Um, so I think he is kind of raring to go. But he's also moving to right field. And if you look at his stat cast defensive numbers over the last three seasons, they've really started to tank. Um, he's slower. His arm is weaker. Now, maybe maybe he was out of shape. Maybe maybe this is what Alex Cora was really talking about, that he wasn't in, in peak baseball condition. And maybe that's why those stat cast numbers tanked. But if those stat cast numbers stay in the decline like that, he's going to have a lot of trouble playing right field in Fenway. So he's a tough one. I'll say... I'll put him right in the middle. I'll give him a five. My man nailed it. Exactly. Exactly where I have him. It's not good. Uh, Yeah. You got the best shape in your life, but why are you in the best shape in your life? Well, because the manager told me I was garbage. You know, it's like when that stuff is coming out publicly, not a good sign, but, but I think the vibes, even despite all that, 
you know, I just have him right above Duran, and I think that's an obvious that he's above Duran. Uh, all right, let's go with someone you obviously love, Tristan Castles. All right, it's look. It, it, I don't apologize for this. Overthemonster.com is becoming to Tristan Casas what Tiger Beat was to JTT in the late. We 90s. are simps. We are simps. We, we are. Uh, no doubt about it. My heart will be broken if he cannot make it work this year. But he is extremely confident. He. It seems like he was also trying to be the face of the franchise a little bit in the off season. Uh, I'm 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 giving Casas a ten for sure here. I can't, I cannot wait to see this guy go to the field. I give him a nine. Okay. All right. Fair I enough. give him a nine because he's, there's not much to say. Uh, no. I, I think I'm going to, uh, okay. All right. Yeah. I gave him a nine because he's great. It, over the, we've said plenty on over the monster and we'll say plenty more. Everything is lining up for if, if he does it this year, he's going to be so popular. Mm-hmm. It's going to explode. Mm-hmm. All right. Justin Turner. Justin Turner. Okay. All right. Now this is difficult for me. You've had, you put Kike at eight, you put Cassis at nine. There's only a handful of candidates who could be the 10. Justin Turner clubhouse wise is the vibes guy. Um, and I know you're a big Turner believer. I, as we've discussed, am a little more skeptical just because of how bad he was in the first half of last season and the fact that he's 38 years old and I don't love (laughs) again, I don't love what he's doing with number two. I don't get what he's doing with number two. Um, So I think he's up there, but I could, I couldn't possibly put him, uh, give him the, give him the 10 grade. So I'll say he's number seven. I actually have him at six. Good. Very good Mm. logic. I actually had him at seven until you mentioned the number thing and I switched him because Mm, that's bad vibes. It is. No, it he is bad is vibes. The, he is the good vibes. So yeah. Um, and I, I like he's going to again. I don't want to make. I don't want to make too big a deal out of this because it's not. I don't. I, I don't. I'm not really worked up about it. But I don't think he realizes like he's going to hear this from fans on the field. You know, when in pregames when he's doing autographs and things like that. Like he's going to hear people being like, "Why are you wearing number two? What are you doing?" I wonder they if won't he's. Ca- they won't care the second he hits a double off the monster. I mean, I no, no, I know, no. This, people aren't gonna. No, I know people aren't gonna hate him because of this, and I don't hate him because of this. But like, it's gonna be a thing he's asked about, and I wonder if he if that has occurred to him really. Don't know. All right, James Paxton. Ooh, okay, James Paxton has not pitched since I think 2019. Is that correct? Um got injured in I don't know if it's was, it was his first rehab start or second rehab start last year uh, completely unrelated injury took only four million dollars to resign which a lot of people uh, read that as a sign that he's not very confident in his health and that if he was more confident in his health he would have gone out in the open market as opposed to exercising that four million dollar option um, but he's also got to be super excited just to be back on a, on a spring training field right now and, and to be healthy at the beginning of a season. Um, let's see. Five is taken up. Six is taken up. You had Duran at four, right? All right. Uh, Paxton, I'll, I'll say he's number three. That's where I have him. Maybe he should be switched with Duran. I just, 
I see James Pack is nothing against James Paxton, but when I see mm-hmm. it, that the whole James Paxton thing is just bad vibes to me. It just it is. It also seems like it is. How often does it work? First of all, how often does let's He's bring a, this guy who's got good stuff but hasn't pitched in four years, and say, like maybe I guess Brett Saberhagen maybe a little bit that worked a little bit for the Sox. Lo- but, love Sabes. I don't know, but I mean that's. It's the same theory that led them to Michael Walker, that led them to Nick Pavetta. It's like the same thing, but it's like the least inspiring version of it. Frankly. Yeah, it's it's the ultimate so that, test of it. It's, so the vibe is not about road. him, just about the process. Like at this stage in the process, I, just, I cannot get excited about James Baxter. Yeah. All right. Yoshida. Masataka Yoshida. Okay. Well, this would be another candidate for number... If we're just talking about fan vibes, I think that's a solid 10 from the fans. Uh, well, well, okay. Let me walk this back. If we're talking about fan interest and excitement, it's a solid 10. But there probably are a lot of fans who are cautious and concerned about how his game is going to translate. He probably, in the back of his mind, has a little concern about that as well. Um. I'm going to say you got him in in there at seven. Absolutely true. I mean, there are only three spots left, but there's there's excitement. It's a little tempered for a bunch of reasons. I mean, I think that him and Kike are two sides. Like, Kike is a really outgoing one who's not as good, and I think Yoshida obviously has not had large exposure, but we're excited, and he could be quite good. So I just put Kike ahead of him because it's the offseason, and that's Kike's time. Yeah, it really is. is coming. It'll be Yoshida's time, and you know we'll see going forward. I'm excited, but anyhow, the only two spots that are left are ten and one, and we're going to switch the way we do this now. Who do you think is ten, and who do you think is one? This is difficult. Uh, it's like I said, it's it's hard for to, for me to imagine anyone other than Bobby Dahlbeck or Jaron Duran being the number one. You'll understand um, when you hear it. You'll understand. I guess, I mean, Connor Wong came in, entered the offseason thinking he probably had a roster Let's spot start with 10. Down. Let's start with 10. Who's 10? You want to start with 10? Okay, okay. Um, well, there's Bayo. He's probably pretty pumped, except that it's possible he starts the year in Worcester just because of the starting pitching log jam. I probably should have. Bayo's not on the list. He definitely should have been. I made yeah. my list quick. I mean, well, I'll, well, I guess it's Devers, obviously. Why am I it's not? Rafael Devers. Rafael Devers. Yeah, okay. This is the first time since the Mookie trade, or since not even the Mookie trade, since there were rumors that Mookie's been traded, that we have the superstar signed. We don't need to worry about that. He's going to be great. There's, I have no doubt about it. Mm. I think the vibes around Devers now are as good as they could possibly be. Yeah. You don't think he's so, he's at least a little bit worried about last August when he was literally one of the worst hitters in all of Major League Baseball for a month? No, you've seen the video of him where he's talking to guys like, you're always happy. He's like, yeah, I'm always happy, and I hit home runs. And you know, that's, home runs. Yeah, yeah. That's what he Fair is. Enough. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm, so not, we'll, I'm not worried either. I know I keep I bringing his last August up, but I'm not worried either. I probably, if I was going to redo this list, would sub in Bayo fairly high on the list yeah um, although like i said though it's it's as of now 
I mean, if if all of these pitchers stay healthy through spring training, which is obviously a giant question mark in and of itself, it kind of, based on what they're saying, it kind of seems like they're going to start him in Worcester, which I will be extremely pissed about if that's what happens. But if, if Paxton and Sale are healthy, Whitlock, we know, is in the rotation to start the year, and I think they're going to let Pavetta stay in the rotation to start the year. Yeah, I would happily swap out Turner, who's like <clears> – <throat> He's a vibes guy, which is why I thought of him. But I think Bayo has yeah. positive vibes. He's got he's got the Pedro. He's got the Pedro workouts in the off season. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Do you want to guess who number one? Is? <sighs> number one. I mean, number one in a bad way, folks. Number one listened, in a bad way. <laughs> if you've listened this far, you know that. But just to reiterate, uh, I mean, you know, Monsi is once again hurt to start the year. Connor Wong, like I said, I like I I am predicting Alfaro to win the job over him in spring training, so he's probably pretty worried. Uh, but I don't. I mean, is it Brazier? Just because everyone keeps making Ryan Brazier jokes? It's Ryan Brazier. Oh, Not of course. It's, <laughs> it's just because his vibes are bad. He has yeah, the he's... worst vibes on the team by far. Yeah. Far and away. I mean, look, it's not often that the entire media apparatus goes to bloom and is like, what? <laughs> Which yep. is what happened. And look, I know, I know the way Bloom is operating, but this goes back to what we were talking about where last week where people were like oh, it in the early 2000s, like, oh, I'd take nine Milton Bradleys or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. At some point, these are human beings, and people just braziers just bad vibes personified. Yeah, if sure he's not terrible like at baseball, he's just bad vibes personified. Yeah, yeah, that, so that I can't, I can't argue with that. I don't, I don't know why I didn't, I don't know why I didn't immediately think of him. Well, but that's why. Other you know, than the fact that you'll understand, like, yeah, he personally understand. is probably pretty happy because sure, he still has a job. <laughs> For, for some reason, he saw his job. He is just. But you say the name Ryan Brazier, anyone, it's just. And everyone just goes, oh. At least Bobby Dalton's like, oh, I love Bobby Dalton. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. People are rooting but... for Dalton. Like, nobody's nobody's rooting for Ryan Brazier to turn things around. Like, I'm rooting for him to get guys out, but like, I don't yeah. care about him. Yeah, like, he's that's made enough. sure oh, that. What a. I can't believe how obvious your your numbers one and ten both were, and yet I I did not immediately get them. Well, I didn't have Devers at ten initially, and then I was like, it has to be him. This yeah, is the first. This is. is part of the reason. Pot on Lansdale, guys talk about it. I talk about it. The weight is like this huge weight has been lifted, and um, mm. and and it's he's the guy. So those are the vibes. Uh, do you want to hear my enemy of the week? I always want to hear your enemy of the week the veterinarian i had to take my dog to the vet today to get a uh vaccine i brought the dog in to the veterinarian which is right near my house they're very sweet very nice people i walk in my dog is very afraid of like going with people who aren't me or going with me in some cases so they're like trying to take her to the back and chew a move. They say, oh, we can do it right here. I'm like, okay. Like, it's just a nasal spray. It's like, sweet. They just spray it in her nose as fast as it would take you to take a nasal spray. One second. 
Was this the COVID vaccine, by the way? No, this is just the no. vaccine of this. Okay. $57 for one second of spray. Yeah, that's insane. I went in there because the place I adopted from, which I found out, major puppy bowl supplier. It's all over the in there. Oh, really? Yeah, they're one of the oh. major. Um, they they send a lot of dogs there. They and, still do the puppy bowl. Oh yeah, apparently that's bigger. It's probably bigger than ever now. Yeah. They like oh you get a free consultation at the vet right near your house. Like, that's awesome. I went into that free consultation a month ago and came back $600 lighter. <laughs> the consultation part was free, but everything else. Things you have money. to do. Yeah. I didn't, re- I didn't realize that animal health care was just as fucked up as human health care in this country. Why not? Yeah. Do you have any recommendations? I, mean, I do have a recommendation. This is arguably a lame recommendation, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, it's lame because I'm I'm gonna recommend a 19 year old movie that everyone's probably heard of, so I'm not I'm not introducing anything new to anyone's life. But it's a movie that I actually stayed away from for a long time because I had heard it was bad, and I and I think this consensus is wrong and dumb and needs to stop. Last night I watched uh, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, uh, early Wes Anderson, and you know I, I, early on I was not a big Wes Anderson guy. I would say um, mid Wes Anderson. Yeah, I, I guess mid. it's mid. It's yeah, it's post Rushmore, post Tannenbaum's. Um, I, I was never a big Wes Anderson guy. I think I'm sort of growing into him a lot more uh, as I get older and as his as his project progresses. Um, but my understanding, like this is, I, I had not watched this because it is sort of considered to be his worst film. I think that's the general consensus. I loved it. I thought it was way better than like Grand Budapest Hotel, which is the only thing he's ever done that's won anything. Um, I mean, it's Bill Murray playing a scientist slash pirate slash world traveler. I mean, it, like, what's not to love about this? I, I think it was funny as hell. It was entertaining. I really liked it as, you know, and, and, and speaking as someone who who writes fiction, this movie did something that I always admire that I always struggle with, which is just that like at every opportunity, starting with minute one, they just went for it in this movie. And they're like, what's the crazy thing that can happen right now? Well, they start it with a goddamn shark attack. The movie starts with a shark attack. It moves on to pirates. It moves on to mutinies. It moves on to like, like Bill Murray pretending he's SEAL Team 6 and raiding an island. Um, I just thought everything about it was wonderful. And if you have been holding back on this because you, like like I did, absorb the consensus that it's a bad movie, it's not. It's a good movie. Go watch it and reconsider. I saw it in the theater, and I think I had Wes Anderson fatigue at that point. And to some yeah. degree, I still do. But I did love, uh, subsequent to that, Fantastic Mr. Fox is great. Isle of Dogs. I haven't seen that one yet. Isle of Dogs is great. They're both animated, which I think is important because it goes with his style very well. Animation and his style work together. My favorite is the Royal Tenenbaums. That is is the one I like head and shoulders above any other movie. It's hard to top Uh, that. I did love the French Dispatch as well. I didn't. But that's that's extremely Wes Anderson-y. but I do. I like. I think that's better than Grand Budapest too. 
I my recommendation, and this will tell you how up on the site I've been, is a new podcast I listened to. It's called Pod on Lansdowne. <laughs> <laughs> it's really great, I, guys. I'm not where I'm not just saying this because they're on our feed. They are incredible. They're uh, they're really good. They started yesterday's show on the Red Sox, talking extensively about 9/11. What else would you want? What else would you want? <laughs> Don't you hate it though when you talk to somebody and they're like, "I don't remember 9/11." Well, they were one of the guys like, "Oh, I was in daycare. I just remember going home." I know. I do think so. I I will say in in the uh, I I do kind of want to discuss this a little bit in the, the context that that they brought it up. Jake was trying to come up with a definition. He was trying to deny that it happened. He was trying to deny 9 11 happened. Yes. Well, he wasn't trying to deny that it happened. He was just trying to insist that Bush was an inside job. Steel beams and Um, all that. um, But no, he he said that the the delineation between Zoomers and millennials should be whether you remember 9 11. And I do think that's a good point. I think that's probably a a good measuring stick. but I actually think within millennials, I have this conversation all the time. I think, I mean, first of all, generation, generational classifications are dumb and stupid. The idea that everyone born within a 25-year time span thinks and feels the same way is, is obviously on its face stupid. Um, but there is a major, major difference between the early millennials and the late millennials. And I do think it's basically like if you remember life before social media, you're, you're like an entire different person than someone who doesn't. Um, and, and particularly, I guess, social media slash cell phones, I think, or smartphones, I should say. Smartphones are really what changed the internet, I think, more than anything else. The fact that, the fact that the internet was no longer something that, you know, you went into a corner and just casually perused for 40 minutes or so, and instead was just something that is always there right in front of you in your brain all the time. Like that's what really changed things. Um, and I almost think, I almost think that we need, like we, we can't all be millennials if some of us remembered the pre social media time and some of us don't. Are you a millennial? Yeah, I'm a millennial. Are you not? No, I'm Gen You're X. Not. You're Gen, I'm X? Gen X? Yeah, I guess you are. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, I'm a, yeah, I think well, they say what it started in '81 is is the general consensus now. Yeah, yeah so I, yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a early millennial, but I'm in there. Yeah, I agree with you that early millennials are way more like Gen X than, than Gen X is like yeah. boomers. I mean, yeah, I will I say, I will say, you say like, yeah, it's it's sort of silly, but the the general classifications have existed. For as well as for as long as they have, because they do fit fairly well. Uh, obviously, very broadly, very, very broadly, yeah. But like but the culture, <sighs> the culture happens, and then it shapes people. That is people true. People are people. There's always going to be hippies. There's always going to be hawks. But like, yeah. there are. But, but to your point, like I would say, I would say that the group of people who are born between 1975 and 1990 that group of people which technically constitutes gen x on one side and millennials on the other side they are much more culturally similar to each other than the people born between 1981 and 2000 which are apparently all millennials that makes sense so um 
Because again, I think like for me, the big dividing line is is social media and the smartphone. Yeah, I, I guess it's to me it's how we interact with that. And I mean, look, all I'll say about the generations is uh the Zoomers will save us all. Come on, Zoomers, do it. Save us. We'll see about that. Yeah. So, no, I'm, not, I'm not one who talks bad about the young generations. I'm like, no, help us. This system is broken. You fix it. We didn't. You yeah. do it. Yeah. I, I, I don't, uh, I just don't know if I have hope that anyone can save anything. <laughs> That's my concern. Well, no, but I like I, I, this is, this is my way of washing my hands of, of trying. Of responsibility. Yep. Okay. You guys, it's all you know. Go for it. All right. You got anything else? Nope. That's it. I can't believe we went as long as we did here today. This is not talking about the Red Sox. Maybe that'll be our podcast in the future. <laughs> we are going to need a new name. Yeah, I was going to say, this is probably the second to like last a, over the Should we do a podcast, tease announcement? Right? Yeah, yeah. We will be changing the name of both the feed and we will have to change the name of our individual podcast. Um, I strongly believe we should do a draft of names or like we should do our name workshop on air next week. We maybe should. I, so I I was going to put this in Slack um, again to promote pot on Lansdowne. They, they had an idea. This, this, they weren't, I, this wasn't an idea for a podcast name, but it's one I do think we need to seriously consider for the entire feed. If not our show only fans. Pod don't miss. They, don't they miss. really don't. They really don't. Only fans. I'm. I'm sorry. I was thinking I in this this age, even though I never saw it on play, was Lynn Sanity. Lynn Sanity for Fred Lynn. Fred Lynn Sanity. God. My, my okay. joke. My joke growing up. The joke growing up was anyone who asked a Red Sox trivia question in high school, the answer was always Fred Lynn. Fred Lynn, yeah. Just say Fred Lynn. The answer is Fred I Lynn. Do, I do like the idea, for at least for our show individually, it does make sense that to have something that sort of hark, maybe not to not to the Fred Lynn era, but it does make sense for something to harken back to, to maybe the 95 AL East championship team or something from that that era of Red Sox baseball. You've got to get Ellis Burks name checked somehow. Ellis Burks, maybe Troy O'Leary. Troy O'Leary. O'Leary. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Uh, what can we do with Troy O'Leary? There's got to be some some Greek mythology puns we can get in I was there. Say we get into Troy Gold. We can get O'Leary with the with the fire in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But that's for next week. Yeah. We've passed the hour and a half mark. That is Dan Secatore. I am Brian Joyner. We're on Twitter. You can find us. Thank you for listening. Take care, Brian.